We are continuing our sermon series on the Ten Commandments. This morning we have moved to the Fourth Commandment on the Sabbath. Before we read God's Word together out of Exodus 20, let us turn to the Lord and ask Him to bless the reading and hearing of His Word. Let us pray together. Guide us, O God, by your word and spirit, that in your light we may see light, in your truth find freedom, and in your will discover your peace. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, we pray these things. Amen. Please join with me in reading God's holy word from Exodus 20, verses 1 through 17. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Thanks be to God. Amen. This past week, one of the podcasts I listened to was providentially discussing the Ten Commandments, what was challenging listeners to consider them from a different perspective. Although most of the commandments are stated negatively, the hosts of the podcast stated, they imply a positive. Hopefully, we all know this by now. But then he continued, 
every prohibition of vice implies a pleasure in virtue. Every prohibition of vice implies a pleasure in virtue. Dearly beloved, in my humble opinion, this isn't more obvious than in the fourth commandment, to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. There is, in fact, great pleasure in the virtue of honoring the Sabbath day. It is, after all, a day of rest. And who among us is not in need of a true day of rest? As one commentator put it, the Sabbath is a gift of God as much as it is a command. And so it's my prayer that as we discuss this commandment this morning and in the week or two ahead, that we would discover the great delights that the Lord has given us in this gift and how we as God's people can make use of this time to give honor and glory to God. In order to understand this, though, we must first understand what the Sabbath is and why God has his people to honor it as a weekly observance. Therefore, I want to provide this morning three reasons why we are to weekly set aside a day of Sabbath rest. And as we discuss these three reasons, I will provide what benefits are contained in each of them. This will hopefully create a foundation to further explore the Sabbath and our practices surrounding it in the weeks ahead. So first, so if you're taking notes on the sheet we've given you, this is number one. We are called to observe a Sabbath day because it is deeply rooted in the order of creation. We are called to observe a Sabbath day because it is deeply rooted in the order of creation. From the creation account in Genesis 1, we understand that God made all things. He is the author of all things. He spoke and all things came into existence. Therefore, all things belong to him and are subject to his rule. Psalm 24, 1 states, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. His ruling over creation includes ordering all things and assigning purpose to all things. Now, his rule over creation does not simply include material things. He isn't just creating physical space and all that occupies it. God also creates and orders time. When God separates the light from the darkness on the first day of creation, calling the light day and the darkness night, what is he doing but creating time? And he makes the earth to rotate on its axis so that we have a period of light and darkness, day and night, 24 hours to make a day. And he orders this time not just by days, but also by years with different seasons marking the passing of time. He makes the earth not just to rotate on its axis, but also to rotate around the sun, 365 days, making one year. There is a rhythm to creation found in Genesis 1. But we don't just have days and years, do we? Part of this rhythm is a seven-day week. Why is it that the world recognizes seven days to be a week. There isn't anything about the earth and it's spinning on its axis or in orbit around the sun that gives us a seven-day week. It's because God, in his work of creation, labored for six days and then rested on the seventh day. That is why we have a seven-day week. 
Genesis 2, 1 through 3 states, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all of his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Upon completing his creative work, Scripture tells us that God rested. The word for Sabbath, Shabbat, means to cease or to stop. God stopped working. His work was done. And he spent time marveling over his creation and enjoying it, savoring the beauty and completeness of his work. The earth was made to be a sanctuary for God. Everything in the world pointing to the majesty and splendor and glory of God. And the seventh day was a day of enthronement for God. When he took his place in this sanctuary that he had created, that all the created order might worship and glorify him as its maker. And so Genesis says that he blessed this day and he made it holy. He blessed it, meaning that he imbued it with spiritual power, or as one biblical scholar put it, this day was meant to stimulate, animate, enrich, and give fullness of life. It was the day on which we as his creatures, the crown of his creation and his ambassadors in creation were to stop from our doing, our making and creating our worldly pursuits and be realigned with our creator from whom all life flows in order that we might receive life by being in the presence of God Almighty. And God made this day holy, meaning he set it apart as sacred from the rest of the week. It was his day, six days to work, one day to rest that has been set aside by the Lord and for the Lord, embedded and established into the pattern and order of creation is a work week with a day of Sabbath rest. And this pattern exists in perpetuity. So we find that it is the one commandment of the 10 that is anticipated before God even addresses his people at Sinai. Only one chapter out after the account of God bringing his people through the Red Sea, we already have this instruction. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. It's already there in Exodus 16 because it's always existed since the beginning of creation, and now God is calling his people back to it. So the fourth commandment in Exodus 20 points back to the order of creation and instructs us to remember the Sabbath day. Verse 11 states, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And so God calls us to follow him in this created order, to be in rhythm with him. Six days we are to work as he did, but then we are to cease from our labors on the Sabbath in order that we might pause and allow our minds and our hearts to be drawn heavenward. This is why the Puritans referred to the Sabbath as the market day of the soul. For six days we engage in ordinary commerce, but on the Sabbath we devote ourselves to transacting our spiritual business, as it were, trading in the currency of heaven. 
As the Puritan Thomas Watson explains, this day a Christian is in the altitudes. He walks with God and takes, as it were, a turn with him in heaven. We meet with God by prayer and the ministry of the word, by singing his praise and presenting him our offerings, by celebrating the sacraments and sharing Christian fellowship. But notice that the commandment doesn't just call us to remember the order of creation in general. We are also to remember that this one day belongs to God. Verse 10 states, the seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord your God. Again, it's his day. He set this day apart from common to a sacred use. To use it, therefore, for our own purposes is to profane it as just another common day of the week. J.I. Packer commented, the underlying principle is clear, namely, that we must honor God not only by our loyalty, the first commandment, and our thought life, the second commandment, and our words, the third commandment, but also by our use of time. In a rhythm of toil and rest, six days for work, crowned by one day for worship. And then Packer states, God's claim on our Sabbaths reminds us that all our time is his gift to be given back to him and used for him. I wonder how often we think about this reality that our time is not actually our own. That all time belongs to God who created it. God has graciously allowed us to pursue our vocations, our careers, our passions with six days of the week, just as God entrusts us with the stewardship of, of the use of the vast majority of our financial resources. And so he does with our most valuable resource, our time. All he asks of us is that we would put down our pursuits to pursue him with our entire attention one day of the week. And why do we need to remember that all time belongs to God and that he calls us to give him this one day? Well, because we are prone to get so focused on ourselves, on our creative work, that we forget that we do not belong to ourselves. We forget that we have a creator to whom we are accountable for the use of all of our time and energy and resources. We begin to believe ourselves to be the center of the universe. We believe ourselves to be gods. We begin believing that we are the ones who create and sustain and save ourselves. And when this happens, we are not only practicing idolatry, but we have trouble numbering our days aright as scripture calls us to do. We get out of balance. And when this happens, there are grave consequences that can follow. For instance, we are at risk to allow our work to consume us and others. The day, therefore, is about taking attention off of ourselves, about taking our attention off of our human-sized pursuits and pleasures around what we create and consume and directing our attention fully to God, giving him the glory, finding that in him we have our most supreme delight. 
It's about honoring him as the king of all creation by recognizing and honoring the order of his creation, about enthroning him in our hearts and lives as our creator. And therefore, it seems to me that our failure to observe a Sabbath day reveals in us a deficiency in knowing and honoring God as our creator and a deficiency in our understanding of how to be good stewards of the time God has granted to us. A failure to set aside this one day holy to God says to God that he's not worthy of our time and attention and worship. It says that our pursuits are more important than the pursuit of him who made us and orders our days. And although this day is first and foremost about God, it is to our benefit. Jesus himself says that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So let me give you some benefits. It's a day for us to be refreshed in the joy of our creator. As we stop from our pursuits and refocus our attention on God, as we meditate on his greatness as our creator, on his care over us as our sustainer, it provides us the opportunity to be recreated by him for his purposes. It sets us in a position to be molded by him as we are reminded that it is he who knit us together in our mother's wombs, that he knows us, that all of our days are in his hands, that he has a plan for us, and that his plan is perfect. Now, secondly, as we get recreated by God for his purposes, as we get back into rhythm with him, it provides a means by which all of our work on the six days finds its purpose and its energy. If our work is to have meaning more than simply an exercise in vanity, it must be rooted in the Lord in his work. And this happens by honoring the Sabbath day, by taking the time to pause and reflect on who God is and what he has called us to to remember that our identity is in him and not our work, and that our true purpose is to worship the Lord and to give him the glory in all things. So we are to remember the Sabbath day, to keep it holy because it is deeply rooted in creation. Point number two, the Sabbath is also deeply rooted in redemption. The Sabbath is also deeply rooted in redemption. When we find the Ten Commandments repeated in Deuteronomy 5, we find a variation in the Fourth Commandment. And hopefully you have looked at your inserts, your sermon note insert, and you find it there, where the commandment pointed to the order of creation in Exodus 20. In Deuteronomy 5, it states this. You can read it. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord God, the Lord your God, brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. The reasoning for keeping the Sabbath day in Deuteronomy, therefore, is the deliverance of God's people from the oppressive labor in Egypt. So the Sabbath doesn't just look back at creation, it also looks back at redemption. No longer do the people of God have an overbearing, unreasonable master. They no longer are forced into unrelenting labor. They've been set free from the bondage of slavery. They've received one day every week to rest from their labor and to celebrate their liberation by giving glory to God. 
Therefore, the benefit of the Sabbath is not simply a spiritual benefit. It is also a physical benefit. Here's some good news for you. Scripture not only calls us to have a work ethic, it also calls us to have a leisure ethic. Sabbath calls us to punch out of work, to go off the clock, to step away from the frenzied demands of our jobs where there is pressure to buy and sell, to create and to produce, where there is temptation in thinking that we are only worth what we make. The Sabbath is a biblical prescription to keep us from becoming workaholics, of allowing our work to become our master. The Sabbath then serves as a safeguard from our work consuming us, sort of like a dam set in a mighty river. If the energy of the river is channeled and harnessed, it can be of great good. If the dam bursts, though, it can result in great devastation. The relationship between our work and the Sabbath is very similar. God desires for us to live a balanced life between toil and rest, creation and recreation, work in worship. The Sabbath is the means by which the balance is established. But we must be careful here in determining for ourselves the work-leisure rhythm, as well as the content of our leisure. John Piper argues, the reason that so many people feel it as a burden, that is remembering the Sabbath day and keeping it holy, is partly because we have so much leisure. We don't feel the need for the Sabbath rest. But then he continues, but more important, I think, is the fact that not many people really enjoy what God intended us to enjoy on the Sabbath, namely himself. Dearly beloved, I pray that this is not true of us. Further, as we cease from our labors, we are reminded that we do not serve a harsh master, but a gracious one. So we benefit from having an opportunity to enjoy our redemption and to praise God for his saving work. And what this means is that when we stop from our labors, we're given an opportunity to find our rest in Jesus Christ and in his grace. We can rest in the promise that we don't have to work to be saved. In fact, we can't work to be saved. Rather, we can work in service to God because we have been freed by God's grace to do so. And therefore, the Sabbath is an opportunity for us to meditate on the work of Jesus Christ for us. And this leads us to our third and final reason for remembering the Sabbath and keeping it holy. Number three, the Sabbath is an opportunity to regularly experience, albeit in a brief way, the eternal rest that God has promised to us in Christ. The Sabbath is an opportunity for us to regularly experience the eternal rest that God has promised to us in Christ. The Sabbath is a foretaste of what is to come for those who have put their trust in the Lord Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 4, verses 9 and 10 state, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. What we discover about the Sabbath as we follow it into the New Testament is that the Sabbath rest of the Old Testament finds its complete fulfillment in Jesus Christ. The writer of Hebrews, says Al Mohler, speaks of a promised Sabbath rest that is a rest of salvation. 
both present experience and eschatological expectation. What he means by this is that the final eternal blood-bought Sabbath rest has begun. We enter into it when we cease from our works and trust Christ in his finished work for us on the cross. This is, according to John Piper, the great and final meaning of the Sabbath. Christ has become our rest, our Sabbath. When Jesus Christ called out, it is finished from the cross of Calvary, he is sealing the promise of the eternal rest for all of God's people. God's creative work was finished at the end of the sixth day of creation, and his redemptive work was finished at the end of the sixth day of Holy Week, Good Friday. When we observe the Sabbath, what we are doing is getting a momentary opportunity to taste the joys of what Christ died to offer us, God's eternal kingdom. We are weakly called then to bask in our salvation, to cease from our labors, which we can easily begin thinking are a means of our salvation, and we can rest in Christ. The writer of Hebrews, therefore, is concerned about the hardness of our hearts to humble ourselves, to put our faith in the work of Jesus Christ and to simply rest in him. Verse 11 of Hebrews 4 says, let us therefore strive to enter that rest. In other words, don't refuse to hear and obey what God has said to you in Jesus Christ. At the end of chapter 3, the writer of Hebrews has has said, So we see that they were unable to enter, that is the rest of God, because of unbelief. The people of God in the wilderness had failed to believe, demonstrated in their disobedience, which had caused them to be barred from reaching the promised land. The writer of Hebrews is drawing this connection for us. Don't fail to put your trust in Christ alone and to rest in his work alone in order that you might not fail to enter the eternal promised land, the new Jerusalem, and experience the eternal Sabbath rest that God has prepared for all those who place their faith in the salvific work of Jesus Christ. Keeping the Sabbath, then, is a way that we demonstrate our faith in the work of Jesus Christ. To have a weekly foretaste of our eternal inheritance is the highest joy of observing the Sabbath. Why would you give up the opportunity to weekly be in the presence of the Holy God, to whom we can come because Jesus Christ, by his blood shed for us on the cross, has opened for us a new and living way? And we get to be there with family who have been bought also by the precious blood of Christ. We have the opportunity to sit together in the presence of the one who is the fountain of life and joy and peace and have his mercy and grace and goodness wash over us. There is no place on earth better than this. Therefore, it makes sense that early Christians moved their observation of the Sabbath day from the seventh day of the week or Saturday to Sunday, what was called the Lord's Day which was the day that they celebrated the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. For the Lord's Day points not only back to the resurrection of Jesus Christ and his accomplished work, it also points forward to that rest that we will enjoy on the day when we shall be with him in his eternal kingdom. It makes sense that the church would use this day to gather, to have fellowship together, 
to read and to hear God's word together, to sing hymns and psalms and spiritual songs together, to receive together the Lord's Supper that proclaims his life, his death, and his resurrection until he comes again. All of these things help us to get a sense of and participate in and yearn for the eternal rest that awaits us. When we observe the Sabbath on the Lord's day, the first day of the week, it helps us to so order our week with our eyes set on eternal things. It helps us to rightly order our lives because we have rightly ordered our priorities. So as we conclude this morning, as we and as we think about why we are to observe this fourth commandment, that the Sabbath is rooted in creation, that it is rooted in redemption, that it points forward to and gives a foretaste of the eternal rest that we have received in Jesus Christ by his work on the cross, I want to stress the importance in weekly making room in your own pleasures and pursuits to delight in God and to pursue him. If we don't, we will miss the greatest pleasure of all, fellowship with the living God. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we do give you thanks that you have established in the very order of your creation this day of rest for us, that we might be realigned, reoriented, put back into rhythm with you, the giver of life. Lord, I pray that we would honor this day, that we would remember it, that we would keep it holy. Lord, that you would receive all the glory and honor and praise. For we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. In response to the gospel of Jesus Christ, let us now stand and affirm what we believe using the Apostles' Creed. Christian, in whom do you believe? I believe in God. 